Thank you for tuning in to the podcast of Western Heights Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. We exist to exalt Christ, equip the church, and engage the community. For more info, visit whbcwaco.org. These last several weeks, we were looking at the first few chapters of Acts chapter 2 under the heading Great Expectations, how God has great expectations for his church. And we saw how, how, how God delivered the Holy Spirit upon those early believers. Peter preached a great message, and we saw that the people responded. Peter gave that message. The people responded to the invitation that Peter gave. And we see that many of them came to know Christ. It says that about 3,000 were added to their number that day. So that little church of 120 grew to 3,120 in one day. It went from a little small group of believers to a mega church that had tremendous responsibility and tremendous opportunity faced before them. Imagine what was going through the life of that church as suddenly they were exploded. Uh, They probably didn't have enough bathrooms to accommodate 3,120 people, uh, much less the fellowship hall was probably not large enough to accommodate all those individuals. And as we look at the early church, we'll see that they followed some guidelines, they followed some principles, some purposes of the church that survived all that time. Rick Warren, pastor of Saddleback Valley Church in California, has kind of mastered this idea of five purposes of the church. Now, I'm not really a Rick Warren guru, For one thing, I'm not smart enough or talented enough to do what he did. Um, I'm not uh, eloquent enough to do what he did, but I think Rick Warren's right on track, right on target. And as I began looking at uh, this passage this morning that we're going to look at, (coughs) I saw the five purposes of the church interwoven in that passage. And I remembered in one church where I served before I went on the mission field that we sat down as a long-range planning committee and we discovered these five purposes of the church and we wrote them down in our church vision, in our church mission statement. This is long before Rick Warren wrote the five pur- the purpose-driven church. And I said to myself, if I had just known then what I know now, I could have made a fortune. I could have made a fortune. Uh, I'm sure he'd already invented it. He just hadn't written the book yet. But what we're going to see as we look at these passages this morning We're going to look at Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. We're going to look at these the next several Sundays under the heading, Church on Purpose. Why do we do what we do? What is the purpose? How can we be a church on purpose? What we're going to discover is that these five purposes, as you see them listed up here, worship, discipleship, fellowship, ministry, and evangelism, as you see them up there, they're not systematically labeled one, two, three, four, five within that. But what you see is that they are interwoven into the very fabric of the first century church. And as we look at this, well, we can have a better understanding of what we are to do as a body of believers. So follow along in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. As we look at these words this morning under the heading, worship with purpose. Notice what Luke writes. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. 
Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. First thing you're going to see is that worship with purpose exalts Christ. Matter of fact, that's the point. Worship with purpose exalts Christ. I want us to go back and look at this passage in verse 42 one more time. And I want you to notice several phrases in verse 42 that are important for us to understand. Look at what it says. It says, they devoted themselves. Let's stop right there. I want you to notice something about this passage. They were not manipulated. They were not coerced. They were not forced. Uh, they were not threatened. It says, they devoted themselves. They weren't ordered to by the pastor. This was something that these early believers, out of this 3,120, the 3,000 new plus 120 original, they made a conscious decision. We are committing ourselves to these things. They committed themselves. Matter of fact, my friends, I'm telling you, it's the same thing today. I can't make you do anything you don't want to do. You're going to decide if I want to do it. If you say, I'm deciding I want to follow Christ, you have to make that decision. I can't coerce you to do it. You say, I I'm committed to doing this. You have to do that on your own. I cannot make you do anything you do not want to do. That's what we see happening in this. They devoted themselves. What did they devote themselves to? Well, it says they devoted themselves to the apostle teaching, fellowship, breaking bread, and prayer. When you see that phrase devoted themselves, it means that with, with, uh, with, with, in, in passion, with, with intensity, they did this on a continuous basis. That word devotion, you know what that word devotion means. What did they do? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching with passion, with commitment, with dedication. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They, with passion, with commitment, with dedication, they devoted themselves to the fellowship. With passion, with commitment, with dedication, they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. With passion, with commitment, with dedication, they devoted themselves to prayer. Now, we're not going to look at all of these this morning. We eventually will. This morning, I want to focus on the last two. It says that they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. <coughs> we know that's communion. And this, as Baptists, as evangelicals, we call it the Lord's Supper. They devoted themselves with passion. They devoted themselves with, with tenacity, with dedication to the Lord's Supper, to communion. Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 through 26, as we look at Paul's teaching on this. Now remember, Paul receives this of Jesus himself. This is one of those times that Paul received this, that three-year time that he spent in Arabia where he went to the, the seminary school of Jesus and Jesus himself probably appeared and taught Paul during that time he was in Arabia. Look at what it says. He said, well, I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. <coughs> for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until 
he comes. I want you to notice the purpose of communion. I want you to notice the purpose of the Lord's Supper. It's about remembering the sacrifice of Jesus. The meaning behind our Christian lives will give us a purpose for our efforts. It will, give, it will empower us for the ministry. The purpose of the Lord's Supper is all about Jesus, and it has nothing to do with us whatsoever. It's for the purpose of helping us remember what he did for us upon the cross of Calvary. Remember the grace that flooded that cross when he purchased our sin from the slave market of sin. He went and he purchased it. He paid the price. This morning when you came in, you should have received a little cup like this. We've never done it this way before. But as I worked on my sermon this week, I said this is a perfect time, a perfect place for us to celebrate communion together. <coughs> so because of that, I didn't have time to call all the deacons and get it all formally laid out, but that's okay. It's not about formality. It's not about that. It's about Jesus. So this is a self-contained communion cup. What I'd like you to do is take the Lord's Supper with me. The first thing you're going to do, you're going to take off that top part, this little top plastic part, and it's going to reveal a little white wafer underneath there. See how easy that was? came right off. When you get there, hold that up so I can see that you're ready. A lot of you are getting there. I know, I can see you. I was going to do this at the end of the service, but I thought this would be more appropriate. Just to pause for a moment. I want you to pause. And I want you to think about what Jesus did for you upon the cross of Calvary. Just think about what he did as he died for you. And he took your sins and he took my sins. He said, this is my body. This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Take this in remembrance of Jesus. In the same way, it says that he took a cup and he passed it around for his disciples to share. Just pull that top part off. And there you'll find your juice. In the second service, we always sing a song. His blood ran red. Or his love ran red at the cross. Do you realize that? That his love for you ran red at the cross. If you ever die, if you ever question whether Jesus loves you, go back to the cross. Go back to the cross. Paul said to the Corinthian believers, he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Drink this remembrance of Jesus. Father God, as we come before you this time, we thank you, Lord, for allowing us to participate in this sacred moment. Father, we remember what Jesus Christ did for us upon the cross. Father, it's all about you. It's all about Jesus and nothing to do with us. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Remember that. 
every time you partake of the Lord's Supper, every time those early believers partook of communion, the Lord's Supper, it was all about Jesus. Their worship pointed toward Jesus. Go back to that Acts passage again. Look at that second part. It says, they devoted themselves to prayer. They devoted themselves. They committed themselves. They dedicated themselves. They conscientiously made a decision to commit themselves to prayer. Jesus taught us how to pray. And the disciples came and said, Lord, teach us how to pray. He said, pray this way. Our Father who is in heaven. What I want you to get is our prayers are about God. Our prayers are directed about to God. They're not about us. It's about us going toward a holy God and praying to him and seeking his face, seeking his will, seeking his glory, seeking his honor, submitting ourselves to him and to him alone. It has nothing to do with us. It's all about him. I thought about this passage this week as we were praying yesterday morning. <coughs> we're all blown away by the tragedy of the 19 people, I think it's 19 now, that died in the shooting in Florida. And we ask, oh, what's the solution? Oh, we need more gun control. We need to work with the mentally ill. Oh, we need to put guns in the schools. What is the solution? I have the solution. You want to hear it? Let me, let me preface this. I thought about that. I said last week, I said in our church, there's 400 members of our church. On any given Sunday, there's 200 here. On any given Sunday, so that's 50%. So 50%, that's 200 people. Then on any given Wednesday night, we have about 15 to 20 here. That's 10% of the original, that's 10% of the 200 that come. That's 5% of the 400 that come. And we gather to pray. Then on Sunday morning, we had, a Saturday morning, we had nine people here to pray. And God has given us a solution to our country's problems. He says, if my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and seek my face and turn from the wicked ways, then I will heal their land. He did not say, he did not say, if my government will turn. He said, if, if, if the pagans will turn, if the school system will turn. He said, if my people who are called by my name, if they will humble themselves, then I'll heal their land. The answer to our problems is people praying for God. But when we have nine people gather on a Saturday morning, 15 to 20 on a, on a Wednesday night to pray, I look at this passage like, we ain't committed, we ain't dedicated, we're not devoting ourselves to prayer. Amen. Oh God, we have met the enemy and they are us. I can't coerce you, I can't manipulate you, I can't force you to be there. You gotta do it yourself. Amen. You gotta devote yourself to prayer. You gotta devote yourself to communion. You gotta devote yourself to that, but I'm meddling in your life, and forgive me for meddling in life, or just forgive me for just being true to the Word of God. Amen. Notice that in verse 46. I'm sorry, I broke out in a little passion there. Excuse me for that. Look at verse 46. Every day they continue to meet together in the temple courts. 
Early church devoted themselves to the Lord's Supper. They devoted themselves to prayer. They made a commitment to meeting together. They made a commitment to meeting together. When I look at this passage, every day they continue to meet together. We are shamed. We are shamed as a church. We are shamed as believers. This passage ought to convict modern day believers. We have a hard time getting people to commit to one son one day a week, much less every day. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine getting together every day of the week to worship? Can you imagine that? Obviously, they didn't have jobs, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you believe that, don't you? Yeah. Suddenly, God calls 3,000 3, people one Sunday. None of them have jobs. None of them have commitments. None of them have family. Of course not. They were just like you and I, but they committed themselves. They devoted themselves to being together with the brothers and sisters in Christ. Many people today say that what we need in the church, we just need a good old-fashioned revival. That's what we need in the church today. I'm telling you the truth. If the followers of Jesus just be faithful to the worship services that we do have, we would have a revival like we've never seen before. If they just be committed to the ones that we do have, why is that? Because it's when you come to worship, God speaks. God speaks to your heart. God speaks to your soul. God speaks to your mind. But we're not here to hear it, so therefore we can't be moved by God because we're not in a place where God speaks. And we're challenged for that. And because we're not into worship and we're not worshiping God, we're not hearing God's word proclaimed, uh, that God's word can't become alive in our lives and we can't live according to God's word. Look, we will come up with any and every excuse. You do not have an excuse that I have not heard. I, I've heard them all. You probably know some. That I'm, I'm gonna make this one up to see if I can get the pastor. Heard, been there, done that, all right? I, I've heard them all. And I reminded, I reminded myself one time I I was reading a, an article written by a chaplain of a hospital and talking. He wrote it to encourage pastors. He said, uh, you're not the only ones that have a hard time getting people to go to worship. And this chaplain, he's the chaplain. He's inviting people to come to worship. Uh, and he said that uh, he, he's heard all the excuses. One individual said, that, said well, it's, it's snowing, so I can't go to worship today. The problem was is that the chapel was on, a, on another floor than this person was on. All I had to do was take the elevator up and they would have got there. The second excuse was, well, I'm always sick on Sundays. Uh, now, they're in the hospital. They're always sick on Sundays. Uh, one of the other ones was, uh, <clears throat> well, my, my nurse doesn't want me to get out of bed. Uh, and then as a the volunteer was about to leave, the person said, oh, could you wheel me into the smoking room if that would be okay with you? Another excuse was, this is his, his all-time favorite, uh, this person said, well, when I get sing, I get when I sing, I get nauseated. <laughs> Listen, I've heard some of you sing, and we get nauseated, okay? <laughs> yeah, I know, I resemble that remark, okay? Uh, so the point is, listen, we will come up with any and every excuse to avoid coming to church. Uh, we will do it. Gene Mims, author of Kingdom Principles for Church Growth, wrote this. He said, the purpose of worship is to come before the Lord in obedience to praise him, to hear from him, to confess to him, and to commit our lives to him. Every worship service is to be an encounter with the Lord, transcending our feelings, desires, and even our abilities to perform. 
Worship is one of the most vital purposes of the Christian life, but it's too often neglected or avoided in our Christian life. I've heard people say, <clears throat> well, you know, I can, I, I can worship God out on the lake. I can worship God out the, uh, the deer stand. I can worship God at the golf course. Can I, can I just cut to the chase? That's the biggest bunch of baloney I've ever heard in my life. Biggest bunch of baloney. Oh, but you don't know me at my deer stand, Pastor. I said, no, but I know you in church. Biggest bunch of baloney. Listen, if you are following Christ and you are seeking after God and if you are right with the Lord, worship is as natural as breathing. The old song says, this is the air I breathe. Your very presence living in me. Worship is a part of it's, it's depend, we, we as Christians depend upon worship to excite us, to, to, to encourage us, to motivate us, but most of all, to draw us into the presence of a holy God. We worship. However, many people just don't want to come. I don't know why. I, I've kind of narrowed it down to two things. They either don't like the people or they don't like God, one of the two. Maybe they don't like the preacher. So fine, find another church. Find another church. You're not here to worship the preacher anyway. They either don't like people or they don't like God. I said, either way, Satan's won. Re regardless of what the reason is, Satan has already won. And, and we need to remember that passage in Hebrews. We come back to it all the time. In Hebrews 10, 23, it says, Let us not forsake the assembling of ourselves together as some are in the habit of doing. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit. It's a habit. It's a habit that you're doing. How do you break a habit? You start doing something you were previously not doing. You break it. Or you stop doing something you were previously doing. In this case, you start attending. You start being a part. I know what you're saying. Oh, preachers, good. Those people that weren't here, they really need to hear that sermon. No, you needed to hear it. They're not here to hear it, but you are. Fourth, fourth truth in this revealed in this passage, verse 47. It says they were praising God. They were praising God. That's what worship is all about. Worship is about praising God. That's our focus. I want you to notice what they did not come to do. They did not come to worship the apostles. They did not come to worship the deacons. They didn't have deacons. They did not come to worship a praise team. They didn't come to worship a worship leader. They didn't come to worship a preacher. They didn't come to, to worship a, 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 a group of individuals. They came praising God. That's what worship is all about. They came because they, said they met to worship God. That's the reason they came together. I, however, I think we've, we've lost this focus today. I've been doing this long enough to know we've lost our focus today. So many people choose to worship in certain music styles. Some people say, I prefer to worship in a, in a more traditional style of music. Others say, I prefer to worship in a more contemporary style of music. 
You know, others say, say, I prefer to worship a blended style of music. We have some churches that, that people only go to church because they worship in a country and western style of music, a cowboy church per se. We even have a church here in Waco that worship is hip-hop and rap. We've lost the heart. We've lost the purpose of worship. See, the problem with that, worship is more than music. It's part of it. But worship is, is goes beyond music. It goes to everything you, you are. Matter of fact, you are to give your bodies as an act of worship to God. He said, that's what I really want. Years ago, there was a church in England who was going through some what we would call worship battles. Uh, there was a, a, a group within the church who wanted to worship one way and another group that wanted to worship another way. Some wanted to worship more traditional style. Others wanted to worship in a more modern style. And so fighting erupted in the church. Can you believe that? Can you believe that churches actually fight over music? <laughs> Can you believe that? None of us are biblical if you really want to get the point. They didn't have any, they didn't sing Amazing Grace in the first century. Neither did they sing His Love Ran Red. Churches today actually fight over the styles of music that's offered. Anyway, this is what the problem was at that church. So the pastor, I got to give him credit, he said, you know what, we're just going to quit singing altogether. So he told the worship leader, that'll scare a worship leader to death, Kip. He said, hey, you're just not going to sing anymore in the church, Josh. And I said, well, what are we going to do now, man? He's like, twiddling my thumbs in the office, I guess. He said, we're just not going to sing. And said, we're going to focus on prayer and preaching. We're just going to pray and preach, pray and preach. And do this for months, 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 until our hearts get right with God. Eventually, they went back and had worship. But from that event, a young worship leader wrote a song. This is the first verse to the song. They're very popular on radio for several years ago. He says, when the music fades, all is stripped away. And I simply come longing just to bring something that's of worth that will bless your heart. I'll bring you more than a song. For a song in itself is not what you have required. You search much deeper within through the way things appear. You're looking into my heart. And then the chorus goes like this. I'm coming back to the heart of worship. And it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I've made it when it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. These early believers, they gathered together to worship Jesus. They gathered together to worship God. And remember, 120 grew to 3,120. Those 3,000 had no idea what they were coming together. All they knew is they loved Jesus and they wanted to worship him. I'm afraid the 21st century church has lost sight of true worship. 
we're guilty of evaluating the worship service. You know how it works. You know, I don't think I really liked that song we sang. It just didn't really speak to me. Or we sit out there and, and, and we evaluate the sermon. I visually imagine people sitting out there holding up little cards. I think that sermon was a six on a scale of ten. I, I could visualize it taking place. It, it, it's, like, it, it's like those up front are the ones worshiping and we're just watching them worship. That, that seems to be what it is. But listen, according to God's word, the only worship that is acceptable is honor and praise to God. That's the only legitimate reason to worship. He is our focus. He's the one that we put our attention to. We are the worshipers. He is the audience. I always tell Josh, I always tell Kip, I said, you're not the worship leader. You're the lead worshiper. You're the lead worship. Everybody else is worshiping with you. We don't want to draw attention to one or to a group. We want to draw attention to him and to him alone. You need to ask this question every Sunday. Instead of walking out the door and saying, I really enjoyed worship today. You need to say, did God enjoy my worship today? Amen. We need to change our focus. Did God enjoy worship today? Listen, it's not just an important feature of, of, the, of the church. It's probably one of the major purposes of the church, if not the most important. Turn over to 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 5. Peter takes worship beyond an important feature and he establishes it as the church's purpose. Listen to what Peter writes. Peter writes in verse 4 these words, As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. For what purpose, you might ask? He tells us, Peter continues, to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. He gets more specific in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. He gets more adamant. Listen to what he says. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. Again, what's the purpose? He tells us that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful lights. He establishes as the purpose of the church, the purpose of the church, we may declare to him, praise him who called us out of the darkness of sin, out of the darkness of rebellion, out of the darkness of disobedience, into his wonderful shining light. And we give him praise and we give him adoration. Our purpose is to declare his praises. In both passages, you see that the purpose of the church is worship. It is to glorify Christ, to glorify God through Jesus Christ. Turn back over to Acts chapter, 40, chapter 2 again. Look at verse 43. Everyone was filled with awe. Now, I believe that includes non-believers as well as believers, and we'll focus on the non-believers in the future. Right now, we just want to focus on believers, on those who are there. When we truly worship God, and we worship God in spirit, and we worship God in truth, we will be in awe of what he does in our life, in our ministry, and in his church. When we truly worship God. The early believers, 
They came together, worshiping God, worshiping Jesus Christ and giving him praise, giving him adoration, giving him honor. And it says that they were filled with awe because what God was, that God was doing great things in their midst. And I tell you what, when you, when you put your focus on God and God alone and you're not aware of anybody else around you and all you're doing is focus on him, you will be in awe of what God does in your life, in the life of your church, in the life of our country. We will be in awe when we get this right. I put it first because I believe it's first priority is to worship God. But as you'll see, there's a reason we worship God as we move through the purposes of the church. In a moment, we're going to give you an opportunity to respond to what you've heard. Give you an opportunity to respond to this passage. Maybe God has touched your heart. Maybe God has evaluated your heart. You know, my job here this morning is not to condemn, you know, not to condone. My, my, my job this morning is just to to get you to allow God to examine your heart that he may see what's in your heart. Maybe for some of you, he's drawn you closer to your, his presence. And there's a reason. Maybe it's to convict you. Maybe it's to, to comfort you. Maybe it's to, to counsel you. Maybe he's just there to encourage you. But we want to give you an opportunity to respond. Maybe for some of you, you need a church home. You need a place where you can come, you can worship, you can minister, you can serve. And maybe God has brought you here because this is where you need to be. This is a good church. Not a great church. There are no great churches. Good church is trying to be great. Because we serve a great God. We serve a great God. We're not perfect. Never will be. I always tell people, say, if you're looking for a perfect church, don't join because it'll cease being perfect when you join. Because we're none of us perfect. But we're trying. We're trying. We're trying to be holy as he is holy. And if, if you're like me, you fail miserably every day. Every day. That's okay. Because we're in this together. Because we want to commit ourselves to worshiping the one true God. Would you stand with me? As Kip comes to close us, lead us in a song of invitation. Josh is going to be here. Marcy's going to make her way down. Maybe you just want somebody to pray with you. Maybe somebody wants somebody to talk with you. Maybe you need some counsel. We'll be here for you. Whatever God is leading you to do. Maybe as my brother and sister here pray, maybe you need to come and pray at the front in a time of worship before a holy God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time that we can get together. We pray, Father, that everything we've done here this morning, Father, has honored you. God, if what we've done here this morning in worship and everything about it, Father, has not been pleasing to you, Father, it's not your fault, God, it's our fault. Father, maybe we had not rid ourselves of anger or animosity or apathy. Father, maybe we didn't rid ourselves of Hatred, horrible thoughts. Uh, maybe we have not confessed our sins adequately. So, Father, we do that this morning. 
we confess, Father, that we fall so short of your plans and your purpose for our lives and for this church. Forgive us. Speak to our hearts, Father, during this time this morning. Convict us, God, where we need to be convicted. Challenge us, God, where we need to be challenged. Speak to our hearts, God, as only you can. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.